Well, as I said earlier, we're going to be talking about encounters with Jesus during this Lenten season. We're going to be taking a look at the Gospels at times when people are confronted by Jesus, challenged by Jesus, comforted by Jesus. What, what happens when they meet with Jesus? What happens when they encounter Jesus? And, and again, asking, what is Jesus saying to us? What happens when we encounter Jesus? What happens when we hear Jesus speaking to us? So the first encounter we're going to look at is, is a man who is paralyzed, all right? It takes place in the northern part of Israel. Uh, you see a map there behind me. It's got the, the, the Sea of Galilee at the top, the Dead Sea at the bottom to the south, the Mediterranean Sea to the left to the west, and where we're going to be is up in this area up there near the top, right around the Sea of Galilee. So if we kind of zoom that in and focus on that, one of the things you'll notice, as you can see over here, it's not terribly big, but this is Nazareth. It's where Jesus was raised. That's where Joseph was from. And, and, and in Nazareth, it's where Jesus grew up, and so he's about 15 or 20 miles away from the Sea of Galilee. But when it comes time for Jesus to begin his time of ministry, when he, when he begins to, to heal and teach and do all those things that he did, he, he moves over first to the Galilee area, over into this area here. You see Magdala and Capernaum. That's where we're going to be, the one that's right in the middle there and then at the top, the other one, Bethsaida. Uh, this is where Jesus is. And, and when we get to Mark chapter 2, it's early in the ministry of Jesus. It's, it's really just started. Mark has told us about that. Mark 1, and, and Jesus has gone out. He's been tempted by the devil in the wilderness for 40 days, similar to what we have in Lent, 40 days out there. And now he's come back, and he started to teach, and he started to preach. And he is amazingly popular. The crowds are gathering. Everybody's loving him. There's no controversy in chapter 1, okay? Jesus is just doing the stuff, and everybody's loving it. He's teaching, and he's preaching. He's calling his disciples, gathering his people around him. And, and I think what really, though, is, is the draw is, is he's healing. He's, he's healing people. And, and let's be honest about it. We have a list of people Daniel prayed for. We have people in our lives outside of the church that we pray for. And if somebody can bring healing, that is an amazing thing. And, and so in chapter 1, Jesus has cast out demons. He's healed Peter's mother-in-law of a, of a fever of some sort. He healed a man with leprosy. And then Mark says he just did a whole bunch of other stuff. Jesus healed many, 134, who had various diseases. Jesus was just healing so many people. He was also casting out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. It's a whole other sermon. We're not going to go there, but, but you get the feeling, right? Jesus is amazingly popular, teaching, preaching, healing, casting out demons. He's doing all this stuff, and everybody is after him. As a result, Mark says in verse 45 of chapter 1, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but he stayed outside in the lonely places. What he's talking about is, is when Jesus was here, he couldn't really sleep or be in public in those places unless he wanted everybody around. But he'd go up into the mountains, he'd go up into the hills, and he would stay there. Or he'd move over to this area, and he'd stay there. He, he stayed outside in the lonely places, Mark says, yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Everybody's coming. They want Jesus to heal. They want Jesus to touch. They want Jesus to fix. And that's what we're going to see in this story in Mark 2. Mark says this, A few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. It must be that Jesus had kind of established a, a second home in Capernaum. Peter, James, and John were there. And it, it seems like this could well be the home of Peter. 
that, that it's Peter's home that he's there. He had healed the mother-in-law. Peter, was, this was the place where Jesus would stay, and everybody would, would, would know that. And so, again, this is a, a rendition, a picture kind of of what uh, that village might have looked like. On the edge of the Sea of Galilee, it's fishermen and so on. And, and we'll just say for our purposes today, we'll call that Peter's house. That's where Jesus is. Jesus had come back into town. The people heard that he had come home, and they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. So they're here in Capernaum, and the people start to come, and the people keep coming, and the crowds are huge, and nobody else can get in, and nobody else can get near Jesus. They want to hear what he has to say, but they also want to be in line if he decides to heal. They have their needs. They know what they need. And they dare to believe that Jesus can fix them. They dare to know that Jesus has the power to heal them. That was the way it was with these guys. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. So you imagine these four guys carrying a cot. Imagine a a pole with some kind of a sling between it, and and the four of them are walking, each one carrying their part. They've been bringing their buddy. We don't know a lot about the paralyzed man. The fact is, we don't know how long he's been paralyzed. We don't know what caused his paralysis, if it was a disease or if it was an accident. We, we don't know if he's a paraplegic or a quadriplegic. We don't even know his name. But what we know about him is he has some amazing friends. He has some great friends. And, and those friends just knew they just knew that Jesus could heal their friend. They just believed it with all of their hearts. And, 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 and they loved their friend. They wanted him to be able to walk again. They wanted him to be able to take care of himself. They wanted him to be able to hug and, and, and move. They wanted that so much. And so they adopted a motto. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. We're going to get him there. We're going to get him there because we know that Jesus can heal him. So they're there. I imagine they show up at maybe this part of the, uh, of the crowd. They're there, and, 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 and they can't push their way through. They, they ask some people. They say, we got a friend who needs to be healed. He's paralyzed. Can we please get to Jesus? And, and people weren't even necessarily impolite, but, but they would have said, uh, there are others of us in line. You're not the only one who wants to be close to Jesus. I'm sorry, you should have gotten here earlier. And I can imagine the guy saying, guys, just take me home. Thanks, but it's not going to work. There's no way we can get there. Just take me home. But they had a motto, you know, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. And they said, no. And they looked around and they said, just a minute. Can't go through them. Can't go around them. Let's go over them. And they decide that they're going to go through the roof. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. So they push their way around the crowd this way, climb up the stairs, and they go there. And they start to dig a hole. It wouldn't have been shocking for those. Imagine again you're Jesus or you're in that room downstairs. You're all packed together, uh, tighter than sardines. You're all down there. It's just all full in the space. It wouldn't have been shocking to hear somebody on the roof. These were places where people could walk, where they would sleep. That wouldn't have been shocking. It would have been disconcerting, to say the least, when, the, when you could hear people digging. <laughs> 
It was a tile roof or a wooden roof, but with mud there to thatch it to keep everything dry. And, 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 and you hear these people digging. When the wind blows through here, I can see all of you look up and you're wondering what's going to happen there. And I, I mean, imagine that. All of a sudden, this, this person gets dropped down in the middle of the service. And, and, and it's this just amazing moment. Then they lowered the man. The mat, was, the, mat the man was lying on, all right? And so they drop him down. It, 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 it's this, uh, the moment of truth, all right? Imagine these guys. I mean, they know that they're going to have to fix the guy's roof. They, they're going to be out some money, some time. They know, but they're willing to do it. But now comes the moment of truth. What is Jesus going to do? I mean, is Jesus going to be like, dudes, are you serious? I got a sermon. I'm, I'm right at the right point, man. Can't believe, right? If you break into me right now, I'd be like, dude, get out of here. I'm on a roll, right? I mean, no, but Jesus, you know I mean? He's in the middle of it. And he's got this going on, and all of a sudden there's this, get out of here. Is the owner of the house going to come up and kick him off the roof? What, what is Jesus going to do? And I imagine, I mean, just picture it. I imagine Jesus there. He's probably sitting down. That's how they taught in those days. He's sitting down, and he looks up. He sees these guys, and he looks at the man who's paralyzed. And he looks up again, and then he smiles. He smiles. Because he saw their faith. Interesting, Mark says he saw their faith. Uh, we don't know if it was just the faith of the guy. We don't know whether it was him at all. <laughs> In some ways, what he saw was their faith. He saw these friends who were just passionate, who were willing to do whatever it takes to get their friend to Jesus. And he saw their faith, and he smiled. And then he looked down to the man, and he said, just imagine that moment again for those guys. And for all the people sitting there, right? Jesus is looking down. He's smiling. They know what's next, right? Be healed. Walk. These guys are like, he's going to do it. He didn't kick us off. He's not mad. He is going to do it. We're going to be walking out of here. We're going to be jumping out of here. This is going to be fantastic. Everybody is getting ready to just explode, right? Because they've seen this before where Jesus has done healing. And so Jesus looks down and he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. And it's dead silent. <laughs> it's dead silence. Because that's not what they expected. It's a strange moment. Imagine the reaction. Imagine the reaction of the friends who are just dropped him down. I mean, I, I got to believe it started with some confusion. Wait, what? What are you talking about? Did he just say his sins are forgiven? What's up with that? <laughs> it's not why we carried him four miles. It's not why we spent $1,000 in having to fix this guy's roof. It wasn't to get his sins forgiven. He needs to walk some confusion. Did he really just say that? And then maybe some frustration. Excuse me, were we supposed to like put a note on? Please heal his paralysis. Can't you see what his real problem is? Jesus, I, I can't believe you missed this one. And it could well have become some anger. Seriously, dude, you don't care. You want to talk pie in the sky? Oh, your sins are forgiven. We need help now. We need help now. Why? Why does Jesus do this? Why does Jesus say this? I want to stop here, and, and, and this is going to be the first thing, the most important thing we learn from this story. What is Jesus saying to them and to us? 
He wants us to know something, and this is essential. What Jesus is saying is our biggest problem is our sin problem. We don't always see that. We don't necessarily think that way. Up to this point, Jesus has been, in a sense, giving the people what they want. You want to be healed of your leprosy, I will heal you of your leprosy. You want a demon cast out, I will cast out a demon. He was meeting all of their immediate needs. He was filling out their, full, their, their felt needs. He was answering those things. But now Jesus says, but i got to tell you, friends, if that's all I do, we're all in trouble. If I only deal with those things, then you're still in your biggest problem. And so now Jesus is pushing them and he's pushing us to go deeper and to think about what we really need. If you think about it, I doubt many of us couldn't sleep last night because of our guilt. If you couldn't sleep last night, you probably were worried about something else. If somebody gave you one wish, my guess is it wouldn't be, oh, please take away all my guilt. Maybe some of you are there and then hear God's word of grace and forgiveness, all right? But let's be honest. For most of us, we see other more immediate and important needs. I mean, what we really need is healing. That's for this guy and his friends, man, if I can just walk again. He wasn't being made to, asking to be made into Michael Jordan. He wasn't being asked to be made into a great... I just want to walk, dude. If I could walk... It would make all the difference in the world. If I could take care of myself, if I could control my bowels, if I could do any of this, my life would, that's all I need. I just need more health. I just need more money. I just need a new job. I just need friends or better friends. And, and, and we'll come back to it. Jesus cares about each one of your needs. But what Jesus wants us to think about this morning is that none of these is our deepest needs. None of these is what we need more than anything else. The fact is Jesus could have gone and he could have spent his whole life healing every disease on planet Earth. He could have gone into heaven and said, okay, you're starting over. No more sickness, no more illness. And it would have never worked. Our deepest need is not to walk again. Our deepest need is to be forgiven of our sins. It's hard for me to remind myself of that sometimes. Partially because I think I'm a pretty good person. Partially because I'm a minister. Could have been a car dealer. Had no respect, but a lot of money. I mean, I could have been that. The fact is what I need more than anything else is God's forgiveness and God's grace. If I'm going to grasp that during Lent, if I'm going to grasp that this morning, I have to understand what sin really is. You see, so often when we think of sins, we think of individual acts. We think of, oh, I, I told a lie, therefore I sinned. And, and there's truth to that. I, 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 whatever, I stole a crayon. I, I, I said a naughty word. And we say, oh, and, and, and it's no wonder that the world says, seriously, Jesus died because you stole a crayon? But you see, that's not the heart of sin. That's the result. That's the outplay of sin. The heart of sin in what I've done at my basic core of my being is I've chosen to ignore God. Uh, sin is ignoring God. It's, it's thinking we can make it on our own. It's putting ourselves in God's place. It's saying to God, I know better than you do. I will live my life my way. Now, most of us who are here this morning are not going to do that defiantly. It, it, you're here at 8.30, 9.30. <laughs> not because your attitude is, God, I don't care what you say. 
Most of us here are going to say, God, I surrender all. I, I, I need you. And at one level, we're going to meet it. But at a deeper level, there's a part of us that says we do this, but I'm still going to be in charge. I'm still going to do things my way. I'm not going to be the kind of person. I'm, I'm not going to trust you and love my enemies. I'm not going to trust you and turn the other cheek. I'm not going to trust you and give away things that I might need someday. And in doing that, we are ignoring God. And, and what, what Jesus really knows is that our deepest need ultimately is to have our relationship with God restored. That's why he says your sins are forgiven. There is inside each and every one of us a God-shaped void. And what we need is for God to do whatever it takes to clean out whatever junk we've thrown in there, to do deep surgery, to put that scalpel into the middle of our heart, pull out all of the junk so that he himself can be in that place. That's why I need forgiveness of sins more than anything else deepest need is for the forgiveness of our sins. And and so during Lent, one of the things we do, and and, and I'll talk about how we can do this towards the end, but we spend time looking at our pride, our self-reliance, our sin. Not so we can hate ourselves, but so that we run to Jesus. Psalm 139 is a psalm that you might want to just, these two verses, 23 and 24, you might want to take them and put them on a three-by-five card and make them part of your prayer this week and maybe for all of Lent. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. God, show me those places where I am holding out on you. Show me those places where I am choosing myself and death rather than you. And lead me in the way everlasting. Father, help me to see my sin again very clearly. Not so we hate ourselves, but so that we run to the cross. So that we come on Good Friday and are overwhelmed by the amazing grace when Jesus says, I will take those sins on to me. Our biggest problem is a sin problem. Having said that, I want to go on to the second thing real quick here, and that is that Jesus does care about our immediate problems, okay? He's going to go on, and he's going to heal the guy, all right? And, and, and I, I think in some ways, you know, Jesus could have said, your sins are, now trust me. And, and the guy might have said, you know what? It's okay. I can go, I don't need to walk again, because you're right, I'm, my, my heart is healed. Jesus says, I won't make you do that. And he, and he heals him. He's going to do that. He doesn't, but, but the reason that he starts the way he does, the reason that he starts with, with that your sins are forgiven is, is he doesn't want us to settle for too little. He doesn't want us to settle for short-term fixes. If all we get from Jesus is new legs, if all I get from Jesus is new friends, I'm thankful for those new friends because the ones I got, I'm thankful but it still doesn't solve my deepest problem. So my, Jesus does care about our, 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 our immediate problems. Our biggest problem is sin. He cares about our immediate problems. And now let's go back to the story, okay? Jesus is there. This guy has come down. He's just said, your sins are forgiven. It's dead quiet. And, and, and one of the reasons we know it's dead quiet is Jesus is listening to people think. He knows what's going on in their hearts. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He is blaspheming. He's, he's decrying God. He's 
spitting in the face of God. He's, he's declaring himself to be God. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And on the one hand, they're right. I mean, they approach it from a theological standpoint. They're right. Only God can forgive sins. But they're wrong because Jesus isn't blaspheming. Just a little hint that this one who is there is God himself. And that he does have the authority to say your sins are forgiven. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. Jesus knew that, again, it's just silence. And he said to them, why are you thinking those things? You don't think I can do this, do you? You don't think my word of forgiveness matters? And then he asks this fascinating question, (laughs) which we still really don't necessarily know the answer to (laughs) 2,000 years later. Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk, which is easier. What is it to say, your sins are forgiven, or just say, get up, you are healed? The fact of the matter is, the answer is it depends. <laughs> you see, at one level, at the first level, and this is the, the, the primary level Jesus is going to be thinking about here, but on the, on the one hand, it's, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. If I promised you I could heal somebody, and you brought me somebody whose leg was clearly broken and said, Ron, heal them. And I said, God told me he just needs healing in his heart. You'd say baloney, right? Anybody can say that, right? You can't say, if I tell you, you're, I can't see the results of that. It's easier for me to just say, oh, yes, I brought you spiritual healing. And we'll, we'll not worry about the physical. No, put up or shut up, buddy. <laughs> put that leg back together. That's, it's, that'll prove it. That'll show me. So on the one hand, Jesus is saying, yeah, it's, it's, which is easier. It's easier to say your sins are forgiven because you can't check that out. But on the other hand, one thing Mark wants us to know is that it will be much more costly for Jesus to accomplish the forgiveness of our sins. It will be much more costly for Jesus and I want you to think about that. This is something kind of Tim Keller suggested, and I, and, and I, I think there's something to this, all right? I want if, we if we were only victims in, in need of healing, it could be fixed fairly easily. Okay, if all I was was somebody who'd never sinned, but all I was was somebody who had been hurt by you, by hurt by others, been hurt by sinners, for Jesus to come and fix me, it's that. He can speak the word. But it's different with sin. See, because I'm a sinner in need of forgiveness, Jesus doesn't just speak it, just because sin needs to be paid for. And it's going to cost Jesus so much more because we're sinners in need of forgiveness. The cost is so much higher. So while on the one hand we think, oh, what we really need is this thing and this thing and our immediate needs, Jesus says, let me tell you, you guys don't understand. This is what you really need, the forgiveness of sins. And it is going to cost me everything. Because it wasn't until Jesus gave his life on the cross that that forgiveness was earned. It wasn't until Jesus was killed on the cross. That's what he had to do. It, it, it was easier to say this, but to accomplish it, it was to wash those sins away. Because they, Jesus has to do that without destroying us. It's a, the sin is in us. It's, it's tied into who we are, and it's wrapped around our hearts. And Jesus has to give his own life so that he can pay for that guilt. Which is easier, Jesus says. Again, he knows that the first answer is, well, it's easier to say it. And then these words, and I love this. Mark says this. 
But I want you to know, uh, Jesus again is speaking, and Jesus says, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I want you to know this, okay? I don't want you to live in fear. I don't want you to live in guilt. I don't want you to live in your struggles. I want you to know that I can do this. So I'm going to do the thing that you think is harder. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And the guy got up, took his mat, rather. Oops, hold on, let's see. we got to go. Took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone. And they praised God. Now they erupt. And they said, we've never seen anything like this. I don't know if they were still chewing on the fact that Jesus said your sins are forgiven or if they were immediately saying, okay, good, he's back on track. But as we go through Lent, as we look at several more stories from the Gospel of Mark and other Gospels, we're going to see that Jesus has his eyes set on the cross because he doesn't want us to settle for too little. And he wants us to know. He does the healing for the sake of the man, for the sake of the friends, but I think more importantly, he does it. Why? So you and I can know. So you and I can know that he's able to forgive sins. I was talking with somebody, um, was it yesterday, Friday night it was, talking about a, a miracle that had occurred in their family. And, and we talked about it, that it's a, a miracle in our day. I think God can heal whoever, whenever. The most important thing, it's a sign. It's a foretaste. It's a reminder of saying, I will make all things new. And when we see those things, when we taste those things, we celebrate but we also know it's just a little taste. Because this paralyzed man came to a day probably where he got old enough where he couldn't walk because he was old. And it wasn't until the new heaven and the new earth, it wasn't until he died that he was able to do that again. And, and, and so the third thing I want to suggest Jesus is saying to you this morning is he doesn't want you to live in fear and guilt. He wants us to know that his grace is enough. He wants us to know that he can forgive our sins. He wants us to dare to believe. And, and so these three things, our biggest problem is our sin problem. Jesus cares about the other ones, but at its core, what I need more than anything else is to be restored in my relationship with God. The rest of it he will take care of in his time and in his way. Again, I believe the sooner the better. But the most important thing is restoring that relationship that I have with my Father in heaven and knowing that I am in his hands and, and, and just knowing that he says, Ron, you don't have to live in fear and guilt. When you see your brokenness, when your eyes are open, you don't have to say, but that's going to win because Jesus is enough. So I want to wrap it up by talking about next steps. We, we, during Lent, one of the things we're going to do is um, I prepared some sheets in there by the doors uh, those four doors. Um, they're just front and back of this. And at top, top, it says, Our Encounter with Jesus. And, and what I have in here, I don't know if you want to use them as a family, as a small group, as an individual, but I've got some on the front side, just some reflection questions. If you want to take those home, we'll get them on the website tomorrow if you want to get them there. But you're just kind of saying, Okay, God, help me understand. How do I, what are the things that I'm putting in your place? What are the things that I think I want most? And, and, and at chewing on this. And, and, and getting deeper and deeper into getting ready and then knowing God's amazing grace. Uh, whether you do that or not, so pick one of those up. Oh, and then at the end, there's also a Lenten exercise about saying, okay, pick something and, and maybe you give it up, not because you're so holy, 
Because every time you think about that thing, you say, but I need God more. You need God more than you, you do, more than your cup of coffee tomorrow morning. You need God more. More than shopping online. More than whatever it is. More than watching The Bachelor. You need God more. And, and so let's grow into this journey. And let's recognize that our prayer is this. God, help us to remember that what we need most is you. Let's pray together. Father, we need you. We, we need other things. We do. We need friends. We need health. We, we, we want you to restore us in so many ways. Father, send your spirit to search us, to know us, to test our anxious thoughts, to show us that what we need more than anything else is just to surrender our lives to you and to dare to believe that you can forgive all of our sins. So now we, we come before you in confession and in hearing your words of grace. We pray this in Jesus' name.